How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business advice utterly confusing? Welcome to the 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that people at any level of business and technology can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome to this edition of the 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, uh, your host uh, for this and other episodes. And today's topic is titled, What Business Executives and Managers Need to Know About Software. And more specifically than just software, the software development process. The reason for this is that uh, in our consulting practice, what we have seen is a trend that is a bit peculiar to us. And the easiest way to uh, sort of uh, summarize this peculiarity we're seeing is that a lot of people in the business segment of an enterprise or a business, and some of you may be on the business side, some of you on the technology side, so to speak, um, are looking at, at this. And the analogy I use is it seems like the business people are being dragged in to watching sausage being made rather than just specifying what types of sausage there is. And this trend has been accelerating uh, for a number of decades now. And it's really kind of peculiar to me. Now, most organizations, I think, would agree that software, which is the use of technology that enables business strategy and processes, that's the objective here, not to write code or build systems, unless you're, of course, in the building systems business. (laughs) Uh, But if you're in the general business area, the objective of technologies is to enable business strategy and processes. And software is now a fundamental requirement in today's digital focus and digital transformations going on. And as we all know, this is moving forward uh, at at quite a, 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 a rapid pace that's there. But what do business executives and business staff really have to understand about the software development process and software in and of itself? Now, for those of you that are interested in watching a chef make your meal or watching soft uh, sausage being made, wonderful. That's fantastic. But I don't believe that that's really the best use of most people's time. I think the objective that we have, well, I know what the objective is that that we have, is to minimize business intrusion, minimize the intrusion into people's days because they're busy doing business stuff. So what should business expectations be from the technology organization as they engage to develop software and software solutions? As an analogy, once again, do business people need to understand how to do plumbing, how to do electrical, how to do heating and ventilation and air conditioning, how to do bricklaying? That's the question I want you as a business person to ask yourself and your technology people. Or do you need to describe your needs that are transformed into a series of things that the technology people 
the general contractor, so to speak, can implement. We believe that you do not need to know how to plumb things or how to wire up an electrical uh, circuitry or know about BTUs, business thermal units, and, and, um, and air conditioning and things like that. We just don't believe that's the case. I want to stress again, if that's of an interest to business people, wonderful. But I think in most cases, there's a belief that that's an imperative, that's a requirement. Now, I'm not saying that involvement isn't required. That's not what I said. But it's different than looking at it and saying, oh, look how nicely we sweated this copper pipe, you know, that's out there. In this episode, what we're going to be trying to do is to describe things, and in some cases, discussing things that you may have been led to believe that frankly need to be questioned, that should demystify software development, the business role in software development life cycles, and how to build a true business technology relationship. And hopefully, some technologists are listening in. Now, let's get into this for a moment here. And so we're going to give you a list of things that need to think about as we go through this. And one of the things that I think is very important is you are probably, to some degree, a, in quotes, software company. The things that you do require or are accelerated or are improved or are provided through some kind of software. And what we have to recognize is that competitive advantage comes from the inside, not from the internet. The internet not, does not have best practices. The internet has published practices. There is no way that anybody should think that the secret sauce is out on the internet at no cost. It would be like going to an Apple store and saying, you know, why don't you give me one of these iPhones here? Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. In the case of your competitive advantage, that's your competitive advantage. That's your intellectual capital. And what you're looking for is taking that intellectual capital, that intellectual competitive advantage, and using things to make it even better. That's really what we're talking about. And some of you may be shifting from rigid products to software-enabled, changeable products. And that's fantastic. And, of course, one of the areas that comes to mind very quickly is Tesla. Everybody talks about that. But you can't change a Tesla automobile into a salad bar. There is no magic there. So what we have to recognize is that even in a software-enabled, software-driven environment, there are limitations. Now, some organizations, and I'm just going to point out a couple here, miss the trend in the movement. And this is not a critique. It's an understanding, giving you an understanding of what is going on. One of the prime examples is Walmart and Amazon. Walmart has thousands of stores, thousands of stores. And if you think back a moment, Amazon had what? 
a website. And what they're doing now is essentially building a bunch of multi-hundred-thousand square foot areas to hold products that are delivered to you by human beings, not through a fax machine or not through the internet, by human beings, the physical products, and they're building all these distribution centers all over the place because they're trying to get to you faster. Well, Walmart had these and still has these, and for some, I'm sure, strategic reason, they said, we don't want to, quote, cannibalize, unquote, our stores. And that's why we're going to look at things a little differently. I want to make it clear, none of what I'm talking about here, I have, I have no inside information on, on what Walmart did. I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of pure logic. And what Amazon is doing, of course, is following the strip, some the script, excuse me, somewhat of what, believe it or not, Sears did. In the good old days, Sears had their massive Sears catalog. It was the Amazon of its time. And then they said, you know what we got to do? We got to put some of these brick and mortar stores around here to get people closer to it. And all I can say after that is the rest is history. Another example, of course, is taxi companies in relation to the popular ride-sharing Uber and Lyft. What happened? What, what was that going on there? And if you start looking a little bit deeply, you start seeing that some fundamental things were missed. It was a new avenue of distribution that should have been looked at rather than a competitive threat in the taxi industry. Now, streaming music. Streaming music. We've got to be careful with this one. There are those that say the history lesson here is that Apple iTunes caused this shift. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that that was the consequence of what actually caused the shift, which was pirated music. Ladies and gentlemen, pirated music was the first streaming services. And the community that was providing the music was upset, which, of course, you would be, too, if your products were stolen from you and distributed to everybody else. And so Apple iTunes came along and said there is a legitimate media now where we can provide things to the customers and provide you with revenues, you know, that are out there. So in these examples, what we want to do is be careful of what we're seeing to make sure that we understand the root cause of the change. And that may be the same thing in your organization. When we hear that the biggest companies today are primary software, what does that mean? Same thing that happened a few years ago between the pipe providers and the content providers. What do I mean by that? Netflix, for example, is a pipe provider initially. 
It was providing you with an avenue to get other things. And of course, more recently, Disney said to Netflix, see ya, we're going to get our own pipe. Because the pipe isn't the issue, it's the content. Now, what's Netflix doing, of course? They're generating their own content. So we see the shifting going on. So root cause analysis is really what's required to understand what is going on in the industry. And the question for you is, can and will software and technology disrupt disrupt your existing business model? And the answer is probably yes. The question is, what do you have to know about the mechanisms involved in that software versus recognizing that that disruption is going to occur? That's really the question. And of course, if you want to know what's happening in the future, not a problem at all. Just hop on one of the streaming surface services and download the Jetsons. And Elroy and Jane and Rosie the Robot and Astro the Robotic Dog will show you what's going on. And you'll see some of the things, for example, that Elon Musk is trying to do right now. And others, by the way. So, the strategy of the future is looking at your organization through the eyes of the Jetsons cartoon show. I'm just joking with you a little bit about that. Now, furthering on here, the objective of the software development organization that you're working with, whether it's internal or external, is not only to build and maintain software, but to be an enabler of business strategy. And that's when the software people will get get a seat at the big people's table, not by demanding it, but by recognizing that writing code is a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. And the technology organizations, and it's happening by the way, will recognize that enabling business strategy is the measure that provides them with a seat at the strategy table. And those strategies need to be aligned and be gotten from the priorities from the business. Business aligned technology enablement. Business aligned technology enablement that is traceable and transparent to the business objectives. So anytime there is a piece of functionality, there should be some way to trace that back to the business drivers that cause that understanding to be looked at. We call that traceable and transparent path from the implementation back to the business drivers or business goals, whatever phrase that you're sort of comfortable with. Now within that, certain classes of things that are being done will be marked or declared mission critical. 
And mission critical means just that. And we're going to take a quick break for just a few minutes, and we're going to amplify what that phrase means to the business and to the technologists when we come back. This is Sam Holzman. We're talking today about what business executives and managers need to do about software. We'll see you back here in just a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Based on over 30 years of real-world experience, the Business Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops in business architecture will guide you beyond theory and into actual implementation. If you are looking to develop a baseline for business agility through goal-aligned, prioritized capabilities, we will help you get there. You will leave our workshop with real tools, processes, techniques, and most importantly, true hands-on business architecture project practice. For dates, locations, and more, visit BACOE.org. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a methodology of business understanding, technology planning, and change by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam 
at eacoe.org. Now, back to the 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to the 2020s Enterprise. You're listening to Sam Holzman, and topic for today is what business executives and managers need to know about software and the software development process. And in this segment, we're going to start off with talking about this phrase, mission critical. And a lot of people look at you know, software and say, well, this is mission critical. Well, a lot of things are right now, and this is what we have to recognize at the business strategy level. And what that means is, can you run your business or a segment of your business if the system is not running? That's the easiest way to test that phrase. And what, of course, organizations are finding is the answer is, oh my gosh, yes. And so we have to recognize that this is not a nice to have. So if I own a restaurant, I need to have a you know gas for my stove. I need to have water in the kitchen. These are mission critical. If those things don't work, I have a problem. And this is what we have to recognize about software. It's becoming fundamental. It's not a nice to have. It's an imperative. Now, if you can run your business without a specific piece of software for, you know, obviously not forever, but for a specific period of time that you want to put a metric on, then software is more utility and not a strategic advantage. It doesn't mean you can't care about it, but frankly, in a little different category. That's one of the other things that the business people should recognize with the technologists is that not everything is mission critical. It's the old sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, when somebody says that, we really got to make sure the sky is falling. And that's what we call mission critical. Now, if your business cannot run without that piece of software, then that needs to be a core competency in your organization. And where does that core competency sit? Well, it's probably in, quote, two places. First, we have to recognize that software is a reflection of the business activities and data. Software is a reflection. It's a reflective view of the business and its data. Where the software is written or who writes it or where it's run is a very different question. Very different question. It's a technology organization question. Now, the business may be curious about where this stuff is running for whatever reason or what platform it's on, but that'll come through the business strategy, marketing and finance, and um, understanding the interfaces between business and technologists, you know, that are, uh, you know, that are out there. So we have to recognize that where it's built, who develops it, Who writes it is a different question 
than what a business core competency is, which is enabled through technology. And by the way, you may make some um, uh, guidelines that says, if this is a core competency and it has essentially our secret sauce, then we best develop and maintain and keep this in our own organization. That may be a rule or a guideline or a principle that you have. Notice how we can look at things, and I call that, by the way, the phrase that we use uh, is right sourcing. And we've done an episode of the 2020s Enterprise on that whole concept. So we're making these decisions not only based on cost, which is a lot of factors that people use, but on criticality to the business. And if we make these understandings that are there. Well, let's continue. I say this with a bit of my tongue in the cheek, but not completely. Forget customer relationship management. It is cooperatively optimized relationships that are there. We are, we are way past being able to manage relationships the way we feel they're comfortable. It's a cooperatively, cooperatively optimized environment. Which means that we have to know the various ways that we are interacting or want to interact with our customers right now. So if you are a fan of uh, the Walt Disney companies and, and the theme parks, which we are uh, personally, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that's out there. We now see the various ways that you can order meals. Uh, you can get on your little smartphone or not so smartphone and order something up and pick it up on a separate window. Or you can go up to a uh, large com- a screen, television screen and, uh, Use your finger and let it do the walking. Or you can walk up to a human being and, and, and sometimes stand in line or just walk up there and say, I want to order this thing. Um, you know, that's out there. There is no one way. You know, I look at things and say, what is easier when I want to get a hamburger and the only thing I see on the menu is a cheeseburger with lettuce, tomato, onions, and cheese. I just want a hamburger. I can go up to a kiosk and say no onions, no pickles, no lettuce, no tomatoes, no cheese, no whatever it is, and keep pushing buttons, is that easier than actually walking up to a human being? Well, you know, there, there's all these, those debate, you know, the debates that are out there. So it's a cooperatively optimized relationship, almost on a transaction by transaction view that we have to think about. Some things need a lot of cooperative interactions and some things don't. And what we have to make sure of is that we are not having the sophisticated algorithmic contortions that are out there to make these things happen. It really has to do with flexible flexible structures. We can order by telephone. We can order by fax. We can order by walking in the door. We can order by uh, you know, a, a, a kiosk, those types of things. Uh, down at Walt Disney right now, just to sort of date where we are, a new attraction has opened up in which you are now have a new way to queue up, which I think is fantastic. You may not like the wait, 
but basically you're on queue groups. And instead of standing in a line specifically for hours and hours and hours, which we used to do with our children, you now get a number and it sort of tells you when that's going to occur. Now, you may not like the number. So, for example, on the new Star Wars attraction, uh, there was an article that said, I got my number and it's I was there at 7.30 a.m. And it said, my group is going to come up in the evening. And by the way, for this particular article and this particular individual, it was 10 hours later. It's positive and negative. Very positive for Disney. Uh, For me or for you, there's a positive too. I didn't sit there waiting in line for 10 hours. I could go out and explore other things. We can see that's the cooperatively optimized what do I mean? It wasn't what I wanted exactly. I'd like to get on right away. But in the case of some things there, it's better to know that my turn is going to come in the evening so I can do other things, you know, as we uh, move forward. Software in most organizations is expensive to build, expensive to maintain, hard to change, and never seems to be finished. And as someone in this business, I want to say to you, the principal reason for this is not the speed of change. It is a function of maturity in the software development occupation and furthermore, the recognition that things need to be finished and then can be begun again. And so we have to look at things a little bit differently. And again, in a previous episode of the 2020s Enterprise, I described the maturity levels that need to be looked at, both by the business people and the technologists, so you can sort of find out where you are. If some of you heard the phrase agile programming, I can assure you that agile programming does not translate one-to-one to an agile enterprise. As a matter of fact, as some organizations are finding, it may be actually a detriment. Sorry about that. So the concept of maturity, the speed of change is not the issue. The other thing we have to recognize is that the things that we're building need to be engineered for change. Engineered for change up front. You have to accept that there is going to be change. I'm not talking about, we'll get to this in a little bit, the concept of errors. But we're talking about, in the product itself, we have to recognize that change is a high probability. You can look at some of the items that you buy, you know, on a day-in and day-out basis, and you see that same thing. Some things can be taken apart and put back together again. For example, in most cases, um, if the tires wear out on your automobile, and this may sound silly, you don't have to replace the whole car. That didn't happen by accident. (laughs) That had to be engineered. You have to engineer up front to recognize that we can only change the tires and we're all set. Think about this for a moment. Very, very important. But you can't do it after it's already built. 
Same thing for software. We have to think about it the same way, that we are looking at it as it's being designed for change. And so each time something is built with software, just like in the physical world, it should have a beginning and a middle and an end. And that doesn't mean that end is end, but we should be able to have functionality working at that particular point in time. And that will be, quote, done. Now we can add to that and we can and, and keep doing things, but there should be the ability to actually see that something is actually done. And what the business people need to do is describe in words what needs to be done. And then the technologists may be able to take that into the next steps. Now, we want to be very careful about that phrase because we have to recognize a human's ability to understand complexities through words. That's what we have to recognize. Writing 700 pages of text or even 70 pages of text or 17 pages of text isn't going to make it happen. And we need a different approach to that. Think about if you built a house, the concept of a blueprint. And there's versions of the blueprint that the customer of the house has. And there's versions of the blueprint that the plumber has. And they're not the same. But they're graphical representations. And so that, that's what we have to recognize. And as we hear these new words like machine learning and artificial intelligence, we have to realize there's no magic going on there. It's predictions based on historical data. How does a machine learn that what they're looking at is a banana or any other thing that you're looking at? Well, the computer camera, the machine learning camera is bombarded with bazillions, whatever the number bazillion is, of bananas and the different types of bananas and the different shades of bananas that are out there. And that becomes, that comes into their database. And then X days, weeks, months, hours later, somebody says, okay, machine, what is this? And the machine says, banana. There's no magic there. It's doing a pattern match, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's out there. If somebody called that banana potato chips, you know what the computer would say? Potato chips. It doesn't know. It doesn't care, uh, you know, as we, we see it. And when we're doing this, we have to look at the measure. If you're measuring lines of com computer code, you know what you're going to get? Lines of computer code. If you're measuring contributions to profitability, you know what you're going to get? profitability. And yes, you can tie the software development, the process and software traceable and transparently to the business objectives. And organizations are doing this all the time. And yes, metric can be collected, but we have to recognize how do you collect metrics? You start collecting metrics. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of funny when we say it that way. But that's the way you begin the journey of moving away from a activity that really doesn't measure the effectiveness of what is being done 
in the software world. So we've been talking about what business executives and managers need to know about software. We're going to take just another quick break, and we have one more segment in just a few minutes coming back, continuing to talk about the things that business and managers need to know about software. See you back here in just a few minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your organization in the Internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture's Center of Excellence have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant-client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. The Pinnacle Business Group assists organizations in solving their business and system challenges with its unique, proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to their business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit PinnacleBusinessGroup.com. Are you stuck in your enterprise architecture practice with nothing but a bunch of static models and deliverables aimed at future technology development efforts rather than true business understanding? With the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence four-day certification workshops, you will learn proven step-by-step enterprise architecture techniques to be used as the baseline for addressing continuous business and organizational change. For dates, locations, and more, Visit EACOE.org. Are you frustrated with your business strategy, mission, or enterprise architecture efforts? If so, the book, Reaching the Pinnacle, a Methodology of Business Understanding, Technology Planning, and Change, by leading enterprise architect practitioner Sam Holzman, brings a method to the marketing madness that surrounds the enablement of business and mission strategy and enterprise architecture. This helpful, no-nonsense book sheds light on this poorly understood topic. It helps business executives and technology professionals build an enterprise architecture appropriate to their organizational needs, enabling their business and mission strategy. Enterprise architecture is the rethinking of how business and mission planning and information technology can support each other to achieve its strategic and mission objectives through the development of a series of project initiatives and agile models. Reaching the Pinnacle is available at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to The 2020s Enterprise with Sam Holzman. We welcome questions and comments about the program via email to sam at eacoe.org. That's sam at eacoe.org. Now, back to The 2020s Enterprise. Welcome back to The 2020s Enterprise. I'm Sam Holzman, and 
topic of today is what business executives and managers need to be about need to know about software and the software development process. And before our last break, I was talking about the role of business people and the analogy that I used, and I'll use again here is do business people want to watch sausage being made? Fantastic. That should be a business person's choice, not a demand. Business people do not have to know how software is made, how software is changed, or the difference between cloud computing and fog computing and time sharing and everything else. Just think about going to a restaurant. It's one of the best examples. You've got a menu, and you're going to have some lasagna. And maybe the ingredients are in there to sort of make sure that it's something that is comfortable to you. Now, you may want to go into the kitchen and watch that lasagna being made. That's a choice that you make. That's a choice that you made. And the phrase that is used is assemble to order. And restaurants are at what we call maturity level three understanding. We also have to understand, hopefully, that not every meal is pre-prepared in the restaurant before we walk in the door. If you can imagine that, that would be a real problem. So that kitchen analogy, same thing with house building, for example. Do you as a business person or a homeowner, need to know how to sweat pipes, how to hook up an electrical line, what a 12-gauge or 14-gauge wire is, it's up to you. Some of the things you may want to know about. Uh, You want a new kitchen counter. Help me understand the difference between uh, uh, laminate, um, uh, copper, cement, Hard stones, quartz, those types of things. Help me understand that. And I can make some choices. And so we have to understand that we believe that this is one of the biggest myths in software development. This this concept of cohabitation is a requirement. I want to stress again, we don't think so. But if you like to watch sausage being made or like to watch you know, meal being made, wonderful. But in no way is it, an, imper- is, is it a, a, an imperative. And the reason we're against it is we believe that a lot of times this is an excuse for not putting together a really solid, using the analogy, blueprint. Uh, we just need a high level of detail. It's one of my favorite phrases. Let me say it slowly. High level of detail. The phrase itself doesn't even make any sense. What does that mean? But we hear that all the time. Or another thing we hear, well, we can't. We, we, we can't. We can't put that down. We don't know where we're headed. So imagine going to somebody and saying, uh, you know, uh, we just hired you, and um, uh, we want to build a large building in New York City. And the contractor says to you, well, how many stories would you like it to be? Ah, don't worry about it. 
let's just get started and we'll figure out where we're going. Most of you would say that's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. And what's the reason for that? You know what the reason is. But in, for some reason, we believe software is different. It isn't. There is nothing, nothing that anyone has demonstrated to show that you don't need to know the end state understanding of what you're trying to achieve in software, just like in the physical world. There's a lot of beliefs in that. So I'm going to give you an analogy here once again. You can't take 100 copies of Quicken or QuickBooks and mush them together to get an integrated accounting system in an organization. Well, it has to do with scalability. Don't, don't forget that noise. Just like you can't take 100 log cabins and pile them up on top of each other and get a 100-story building. We've got to get more recognition of what engineering design objectives are. This is about engineering first and not about technology. It's second. It's about engineering. And all organizations want to latch on to this phrase, and I love it, agility. In the olden olden days, we used to call it flexibility. Now we're using the contemporary phrase agility. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? And what's an analogy that you could possibly see here? Well, I believe probably most of our audience are not, or all of our audience, has a smartphone in front of them or in your pocket or somewhere. Fascinating device. I'm 110% positive, if that phrase means anything, that our listening audience, it would be a shocker to have two people with the exact same screen layouts and secondary and tertiary screens on their smart device. That's agility. And the phrase that we're looking at and the phrase that we're trying to uh, get to is mass customization in quantities of one. Mass customizations in quantities of one. Well, how do you do this? Some of you may hear the following. Well, you know, Sam's a really nice guy and stuff like that, but he doesn't get it. Software is different. Well, I keep hearing that, but I'm going to tell you right now, it ain't. I want you to think about a salad bar. I want you to think about a salad bar for a moment. Let's say there's 16 ingredients on that salad bar. You've got uh, romaine lettuce, you've got tomatoes, uh, you have uh, uh, onions and radishes and turkey and cheese. You know what I'm talking about. 16 elements that are out there. How many different kinds of salads can you make? Everybody sitting down? Just 23 million different kinds of salads. I want you to think about salad bars, not completed salads. And that's what we have to get more and more of our software developers to start thinking about. And that's the level of maturity 
that we need to look at. And it's called assemble to order, literally. And your lives and my lives are surrounded by assembling to order. And that's what we have to push. And yes, it takes an investment. So for example, grocery store. Somebody has to fill that grocery store with stuff before you and I as customers can walk in and assemble what we want for whatever reason we want it, for a meal or whatever. Somebody has to stock a Lowe's or a Home Depot with lumber and two-by-fours and windows and doors and nails and hammers and chisels and everything else in order for a contractor or you and I to come in and assemble our house or shed or whatever we want to do to order. Assemble to order is everywhere. Walk into a clothing store. Somebody has said the logical way to lay out a clothing store is pants, shirts, undergarments, accessories. Walk into a grocery store. You've got the canned goods section. Within the canned goods section, you got the green beans, you got the corn, you got the this and the that. You walk into the dairy section, you have the dairy products, the milks, uh, the creams, the yogurts, the uh, cottage cheese, whatever it is. Assemble to order. Ladies and gentlemen, it's everywhere. And yes, in the software world, we can do the same thing, and it's happening. And that's the way that you can get what you need as a business person Faster, better, cheaper. I want to stress, somebody has to make the investment in those elements or else you can't make the salad. And you can't justify it on a project alone is really what we have to think about. So we've got to think about this whole thing just a little bit differently. This is one thing about the software world that I think is very important. Software doesn't have bugs, should not need tweaks, should not have vulnerabilities. The word that all of us have to start using is they are mistakes. These other terms are masking the underlying issues that we're seeing. And again, in a previous episode of the 2020s Enterprise, I did a controversial title episode called Get Over It, The Hackers of One. We have to look at things differently. This is not natural. People want you to believe that it is natural. The business people that are out there, listen, they want you to believe it. It is not. You wouldn't put up with that by going to a grocery store and saying, you know, just, you know, I took these eggs home and two of the eggs are broken. You get aggravated and you'd look for ways and the customer would look for ways to go back to the supplier. The supplier would go back and say, how do I prevent this from happening again? It's not a natural thing. We just put nice little names on it, bugs and tweaks and vulnerabilities. No, mistakes. And mistakes have consequences. And one of the big issues is, we have no idea. We don't have a baseline for addressing and managing these things. We really have no idea what that mistake can end up being. Don't be afraid of large charts and paper. 
if any of you had the privilege or frustration in building a house, you know that one eight and a half by 11 PowerPoint slide or a piece of paper, I have nothing against PowerPoint, by the way, can explain a house. And by the way, it cannot explain your business. The reason people rebel, business people rebel like yourselves and seeing these big things is because they're not human consumable. And you've got to get people to recognize that you are human beings and you do have a high degree of intelligence. And please don't tell me I don't understand because I'm not a technologist. This is very, very important. So it's what's being represented that is the issue and how it's being represented. And the phrase that we need to look at is human consumability so we can understand how this thing is actually going to manifest itself through software. And I'm going to go a little further here in this Twitter, Facebook universe that we're in uh, today with uh, all the some thumb surgery we're going to need, uh, you know, out there. We have to make sure that if I'm a technologist, that what I'm showing you is consumable in less than 90 seconds. And that number is not a joke. It's not a level of detail issue. It's a human consumability issue you know, that's out there. A couple more items here. This one is scary to me. And what we're hearing a lot about today is daily updates to software to me is a danger signal. Just think about this. And you got to be real careful about that being a desirability. Well, that's desirable. We have new features every day. Let's think about the human element for a moment. The training or retraining that has to be done. And what are the effects of changes? That are, how many changes were made? Two, six, five, ten? Can you imagine getting in your car in the morning and uh, you turn on your ignition and somebody decided that the best practice of the day is to move the brake pedal to the right-hand side and the gasoline pedal to the left-hand side in North America. Ah, just a little change. It's really great because it was easier to implement. I'm giving you a stream example. You'd go bananas, and you should go bananas. So we've got to be careful when we look at this. So the whole objective of this particular episode of the 2020s Enterprise is to bring to business people and managers in business and the technologists out there, a recognition of who's the customer and who is the delivery agent. And one of the things that I haven't used in my presentation, and I will not, is the term user. This is a symptom that we all need to recognize. And with a bit of humor, there are only two occupations that use the term user on who pays the bill. The illicit drug trade and software developers. We get them hooked and we charge them more and more for less product. You business people are not users. You are customers and clients. And let me leave you with that thought with a bit of humor. And until next time, you're listening to Sam Holzman, 2020's Enterprise. I can be reached at Sam at eacoe.org. Sam 
at eacoe.org. Until next time, have a great day.